Second Peter chapter number one. And let's start reading verse number one. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right after I started preaching, a pastor gave me a box of books um, preachers need to read, and um, I was thankful for those books. I didn't have very many, and it was appreciated. And I appreciate the spirit which the man gave me the books, but unfortunately they weren't any good. They... Um, they were some bad theology. I trusted the man and took him up and read. But what I discovered later on is I had a box of books from a school of theology called, it's called Keswick Theology. Keswick is a town over in England. And they had a sort of a, a conference um, way back and. And from this conference and centered around that, there was a particular school of theology that ended up being known for the town, Keswick Theology. And what that teaches is that there's two categories for the Christian life. First, you get saved, and then you get spiritual. So in all the world, there's three classes of people. You've got unsaved people, then you've got saved people, and then you've got the third class is the spiritual people. So saved people are broken up into... To save people, and then the next level up is after you get the second blessing, you get you're a spiritual person. So they look at the story of the Exodus and the story of the book of the upper room and the book of Acts as the normative example of the spiritual life. So you're delivered from Egypt, but then you wander around in the wilderness of the carnal, weak faith until you get the second blessing. Then you're delivered um, from that wilderness wandering and you enter the promised land of uh, spirituality. So there you'll find blessing and power and victory and surrender and, and all those things. Or the Lord makes you his disciples like he did the disciples in the, in the Gospels and like the Gospels you're, 
uh, you're like Peter maybe in the Gospels. You have little faith and, and bickering and fighting amongst themselves and so forth. But then uh, you get the spirit baptism in Acts 2. And then you're living the surrendered life. Then you're living the abundant life, the second blessing, the victorious life, and so forth. But there are not two classes of Christians. If you're saved, you're in Christ. The promise of the new covenant is not broken up into two distinct groups of people, the haves and the have-nots. If you're saved, you've received the promises of the new covenant, and you have been given, as Peter says, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So what this teaching does is say you're saved, but you don't have all things that pertain to life and godliness. That all things that pertain to life and godliness come um, later on, uh, maybe. But that's contrary to what Peter is telling us here. That we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We're not to let go and let God, nor are we to tarry at Jerusalem and to wait the, the Holy Spirit or tarry in the prayer closet, or tarry um, anywhere and wait for God to give us that second blessing, as this theology teaches. But we who are saved are in Christ, and we have received uh, the gifts and the graces that Christ promised in the new covenant. There's lost people, and there's people who are in Christ. And what they'll say is uh, passages such as this, um, it teaches you how to get surrendered and how do you get um, that second experience. And so uh, what, what happens is mainly is they, they go by something that they might have experienced in their life, some point back in time where the Lord, they had a, a great experience of growth and they can look back and say, well, I really grew um, after that message I heard and, and really... Um, the, the Lord really taught me. Uh, but, but it's not a, a, a second blessing, but it is the Lord um, dealing with his people as he does. That we grow in grace. And that's what Peter talks about, that we're adding to the things that he already gave us. It's not that we're without those things, but we add to what we already have. Add to your faith virtue and so forth. Well, this developed over time into a doctrine that denied the lordship of Christ. So you had um, the, uh, the free grace um, people that say that, that you heard where Jesus is your Lord, or Jesus is your Savior, but he's not your Lord. And so you make a decision for Christ, but there's no change in your life. There, there's no um, difference than, than other than you just said that you're saved, but later on you make him your Lord, and that developed turn into that. Well, there's also another error that's present that tried to go against that, which redefines faith to include works. And so in order to fight against this kind of a theology of the, the anti-lordship salvation, um, they pushed back a little bit too hard and kind of went too far the other way. And so then you have the other side that adds to the definition of faith, that faith is just not the knowledge and the assent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but um, but adds adds um, works to that um, definition of faith. Um, a fully surrendered faith, or 
a um, an impassioned, zealous faith, or, or or something added to just knowledge and trust and assent in the Lord Jesus Christ. But ironically, both these errors always have you looking inward. And so I read the whole section because um, Peter denies the fact that that there's two classes here, that if you're in Christ, if you know Christ, you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. But the other side will focus only on maybe verse number 10 to make your calling and election sure, to be looking inward, to, to see if you have believed enough and trusted enough and surrendered enough and, and so forth. So uh, there's dangers on both sides like any doctrine. You can go, you, know, you can be fighting a doctrine and fighting an error and go too far the other way. Well, in verses 9 and 10, I think we get the, the sense of what Peter was wanting to, to tell us here. Peter tells us that God has given us what we need in our Christian life that we could enter into glory. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the end result. Chapter or Verse number 11 is what Peter is driving at here at the beginning. That we have been given all that we need that pertains to life and godliness that we may enter into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us great and precious promises through Christ. And, and we give all diligence to add to that gift of faith, virtue, and knowledge, and temperance, and patience, and godliness, and brotherly kindness, and love. And you notice these are not inward-looking, but they are lived out in the church of the Lord Jesus. So you can't enter into your prayer closet and and um, work out patience for, or brotherly kindness or temperance. These are all things that, that we exhibit and work out living, um, living in the church amongst uh, God's people. And so that's one aspect of this that we see that, that what Peter is saying is we add is not something that's, that we're just navel-gazing, you know, inward-looking, but lived out uh, loving God and loving our neighbor. It's not a second blessing, but adding and increasing and multiplying what God has blessed us with in his new covenant promises. Our hope is in what Christ has done for us, and our salvation is the faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I, and I say that because I've I investigated uh, where this doctrine came from and some of the early proponents of it. And it's interesting that many of the people um, that promoted this had terrible family lives and um, ended up not even being united to any type of local church. In fact, one of the, the main uh, people of that is a, is a woman, uh, Hannah Smith. Uh, she ended up apostatizing, so did her husband uh, later on. But, but the fact remains is, if, if it's a, an inward looking all the time, then you're not exercising what Peter calls for. 
So the title of the message tonight is, you have what you got what you need. You've got what you need. We're weak in the faith. We're weak in the flesh, rather. We're weak in our flesh. And the world is full of dangers and temptations. And even though we've been saved and delivered from all unrighteousness, sin still, that remaining and dwelling corruption still um, is a cause for temptation and struggle. But Christ Jesus has graciously provided all that we need. So we will not fall, and we will not, and we will enter into that everlasting kingdom. So despite our failures and despite our problems and despite our weaknesses, we have everything that we need to enter into that everlasting kingdom. You've got what you need tonight. We don't have to wait for anything else. You're not lacking anything else. You've got what you need. So grace and peace are multiplied to the believer through the knowledge of Christ. Accordingly, his divine power has given us all that pertains to life and godliness, which is the knowledge of God. Christ has called us to glory and virtue. Therefore, he's given us exceeding great and precious promises. And through these, you might be partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption in the world because of the lusts of the flesh. So first of all, we see in uh, the end of verse number two that that grace and peace is multiplied through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have that grace and peace from God. We're born again by divine power. We are saved by God's power. We're given faith by God's grace. So faith is a gift of God. We are redeemed by God's favor. We're born again by his power. We're given grace, uh, faith by his grace. We're redeemed by his favor. We're made righteous by Christ's sacrifice. We are justified before God by the Lord's grace. We're at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, all by divine power. Without our work, without our preparatory work, we don't have to get ourselves prepared before we can hear the gospel. We don't have to to go through seasons of doubt and seasons of crisis before we can receive what God has blessed us with. No, it's all by divine power, all by divine grace, without our work or preparation. It's all by God's power, without our deserving even the, the least bit of it. All by grace. We are saved by grace. We have great and we have peace with God. And we can't be more saved than we are the moment we first believe. You can't be more saved than whenever um, you're first born again by the Spirit of God. You are saved. You can't be more justified than when, you're first, when you first believe. But these graces can multiply in us. And that's what Peter was saying. But what if we fail? What if the grace doesn't multiply like we think that it ought to multiply? What if the peace comes and goes? What if the peace fades and it's not what it once was? What if we look at ourselves, we look in the mirror of the Word of God and just say, I don't think I can make it. So much remaining corruption, so much sin that I don't want to sin. What if I fall? And that's what I think Peter has in mind here. Because he says that 
through these things, we can, we shall um, enter into that everlasting kingdom. You've got what you need, is what Peter addresses here. You've got what you need. I read about about an expedition back in the 1800s where a few British men were uh, exploring uncharted areas in Africa, and they were going to map the region. And so they equipped the crew, the, the British government equipped the crew with enough supplies to start the journey and to get so far into Africa because they couldn't carry enough supplies to last them to where they were going and back. So they got them enough supplies to make it there. And then they hired some local men to meet them at a particular location. And they were supposed to bring a certain set of supplies to that location at a certain time. And that would give them a second set of supplies where they could get to their destination and then they could start working their way back. The government gave them what they needed and they set out on their journey. Well, immediately they were attacked and um, robbed and they lost most of their supplies. They started getting sick and they ran quickly out of their medicines. And, and by the time that they got to where they were, where they were supposed to get that next set of supplies, um, the guys that they trusted betrayed them. And they, they assumed that they probably took the money and, and then bought uh, lesser supplies. So they were supposed to bring particular uh, medicines, particular um, supplies, and, and they, they didn't bring what they were supposed to. Uh, they didn't bring enough, and they didn't bring the quality that they needed. So they found themselves in dire straits because they started out with enough to get started, but they didn't have enough to finish. Some people view um, sanctification like that. Like, God will give you enough to get started. He'll put you on the right track, but, but you've got to make that abundant entrance. You have to you have to get that next get to that next step, or otherwise you'll be stranded out in the wilderness, stranded out to starve or 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 to die and all alone. No, that's not how God works. Peter tells us that according to his God, divine power, God has graciously given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We are saved by grace, we have peace with God, it's multiplied in us through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the same divine power that has saved us has given us everything that we need to arrive safely at our destination. He has given us all the supplies and all the, 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 all the things that we need. Not some of the things that we need, not a few of the things that we need, but everything, all things it says, all things that pertain, all things that belong to life and godliness. All things that belong to our spiritual life, God has provided for us. All things that pertain to godliness, God has given us according as His divine power, according to His divine power. All things that pertain to godliness or, or piety or religious life. That's what godliness is, piety. So God has given us everything that pertains to godliness. It's not our piety that enables us to be a child of God, nor is it our godliness that results in the divine work of God in our lives. But it is God's gracious gift to his people. He has given us 
He's not talking about the apostles. He's talking about us who have that, verse 1, obtain that like precious faith with us. So Peter is saying, all you who have obtained that like and precious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in him as your, as your Savior, if you, have, if you have received that gospel promise and you have received Christ and, and he is your, your only hope of salvation, then you have been given by that same grace that saved you all things that pertain to your spiritual life and to your piety and your godliness in this life. Well, how do we do that? How is it that we receive that? Well, it's knowing Christ. David Helm said, True knowledge of God is always attended by a fixed belief in God's promises. So often today, people want to claim relationship with God while at the same time abandon the words of the Bible. It's as if we want a God in our own making, one who exists under the authority of our own word. So they want a spiritual life without the Bible, a spiritual life without the Word of God, a spiritual life without doctrine. But, but notice it is through the knowledge of, our, of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, it says, through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. So we have all things that pertain to life and godliness through that knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a fuzzy feeling of spirituality and you don't get it elsewhere but you get it through through knowing Christ what did John stress in 2nd John where he's talking uh, to, to the, the young men and the fathers or the, the, the children and the fathers what was it that they had what was it that they he, he stressed for them that they knew Christ and knew the Father, and they knew God. Why? Because it is Christ alone that our hope is found, as the song says. It's not Christ plus my works. It's not Christ plus my strength, but Christ alone. And our faith is in what He did for us. So this, what we have been given, is through Christ Jesus. So you can't enter into that everlasting kingdom apart from Christ. You can't enter into that kingdom apart from knowing Christ. And, and it's not through our strength, but it's by his grace. So you might think of that abundant, abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom, um, not, not paddling on a rowboat with all of our might, but, but on that sailing ship blown in by uh, the grace of God. We do this because we know Christ. J.I. Packer in his uh, book, Knowing God, said, What were we made for? We are made to know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is eternal life that Jesus gives? What's the knowledge of God? This is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. What's the best thing in life? Bringing more joy and delight and contentment than anything else? The knowledge of God. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, neither let the rich man glory in his riches, but him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. What of all the states God ever sees man in, gives him most pleasure. 
knowledge of himself. I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Isaiah 6, 6. So once you have become aware that the main business that you're here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. <clears throat> that is what that is eternal life to know Christ. That is what we glory in to know Christ. And so um, to to know God and to know Christ puts things in their proper order, don't they? It, it puts our our worries in proper order. It puts our desires in the proper order. It 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 shows our lusts to be what they truly are, not things to be petted and played with and nurtured, but but a sin and affront against the holy God. So we are saved by God's grace according to divine power, and we are also kept by God's grace, and we are sanctified uh, by God's grace. It's all of grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This Lord who has saved us has called us to glory and virtue. He provided us, he's equipped us, he's given us everything that we need. So you want a, you want a life? Well, he's provided it. You want to live a pious life, a godly life? Well, he's provided everything that you need for life and godliness. Well, how? how? Through the knowledge of him. Isn't that interesting that, that if you want to live a godly life, the place that Peter would seem to, to have us to go is not to, to read a book about godly men, which nothing wrong with that, and it might be very helpful to read somebody in history and follow, see their examples and so forth. But, but where is the power of a godly life? It's through the knowledge of him. It's through the knowledge of Christ. And so much, much like um, a lot of things in the scripture, the, the, if, you, if you run after peace, looking for peace, you won't find it. But if you go to Christ, that's where you'll find your peace. If you go after godliness by um, going after means and methods and programs and schedules and so forth, you're not going to find it. You're going to find your power. So you can have, um, and nothing against New Year's resolutions, or, um, I have no problem with those whatsoever, but, but if you think spiritual power comes in a chart or a program, well then where's your faith? He always says my faith is in this chart or program. I have a program, I have a schedule, just because if you... If you don't have some kind of plan, you, you, you won't get anywhere. But, but my faith and my trust is not in the program. It's not in the schedule. Right? I, I have a little list of what chapters of the Bible I'm going to read every day. Because if I don't have a, a program, if you don't plan, you won't, you won't have anything. Um, typically, at least I won't. That helps me. That's a, that's a tool that helps me. But that's not the, the power of godliness. Right? The power of godliness is looking to Christ. The power of godliness is knowing Christ. And so if I read the scriptures, but I'm not reading the scriptures to know Christ, then I, I've missed the point. It's, it's knowing Christ. And he, he's given us all things that pertain through the knowledge of him that's called us to glory and virtue. He has called us. So you've got what you need. Christ Jesus has 
graciously provided all that we need so we will not fall and enter, and we will enter into the everlasting kingdom. You've got what you need. He's called us. We've been summoned to glory and virtue. This isn't a general call, but it's an effectual, powerful call of God. So he hasn't called us to make a resolution to do better, but he has called us to be partakers of glory um, and virtue. It's not something that you can take or leave. Called to the, if you get, if you're in school and you get called to the principal's office, that's not a suggestion. Um, be sitting in class and you come across the loudspeaker. Doug Newell, please report to the principal's office. And everybody start giggling because they think, oh, oh, he's in trouble now. Well, you, I didn't have an option to to go or to not to go. It was a summons, right? A jury duty letter is not a general call to come or, or not come. Um, someone got the, the call to come to jury duty when I was on it, and they didn't show, and uh, they effectually sent the sheriff <laughs> to, to find them. Uh, the judge did. That was a summons. They were to appear. Well, the Lord has summoned us. He has called us effectually to glory. He didn't say, well, you can come to heaven if you want to, um, and, and here's, here's enough supplies to get you going, and I hope you make it. No, he's called us by his divine power unto salvation all the way into the entrance of the everlasting kingdom. That is a call that will not go unanswered. It will not be ignored. It will not fail. We are called to eternal glory with Christ, and we are called to live honorable and godly lives here. Now, we don't have problems with the first part called the glory, but it says glory and virtue. And I believe that he has called us to live honorable, godly lives. You say, well, I, can't, I sin. I, I can't live in perfection. Well, it doesn't say he's called us to live in perfection. He's called us to live um, godly lives. Well, I can't do that. Well, why can't you do that? Because his, according to his divine power, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has called you to glory, and he's called you to godliness, and he's given you everything that you need to enter into glory, and he's given you everything that you need uh, to live in godliness. So God has provided what we need. It, we, we trust him, trust his promises, and, and listen to our Lord, and have faith and say, well, I have peace with God, and he's called me to godliness, and he's given me what I need, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey him, I'm going to listen to him, and I'm going to trust him. Uh, Horatius Bonner um, said that, I'll paraphrase, but he, he was saying that so often the path of assurance unto salvation and the path of holiness, holy living are, are separated by, by Christians. And he said, it's not that they're two separate roads. He said, it's the same road. He said, and if you view them as going opposite directions or different roads, he said, you, you've gone wrong somewhere. 
because we are, <coughs> excuse me, we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. And he has called us, he's provided, he's equipped us to, to glory and to godliness and to virtue, to honorable, godly life. God has provided for us. Well, how? What's he provided? Whereby are given unto us. So he's called us to that, whereby, and so this is the result of this, or, or this is how, rather, we are given exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Exceeding great and precious promises. Christ has called us, so we are given the, the, the greatest of great promises. And he has called us, and we have the most precious of, of promises. What do you think he's talking about? What do you think he's talking about, these, these exceeding great and precious promises? Well, can I show you what I think I see here in the text? Uh, let, let's look at what these, they do for us. What do these great precious promises do through us? So it's through these promises that you might be partakers of the divine nature. Escaping the corruption of the world because of lust. That's what the end result of these promises do. That we are, that we are made and conformed to the image of Christ. That we escape the corruption that's in the world. The very thing that we're called to do, that's, that's what these promises do for us. So these are gospel promises, aren't they? How can you be conformed to Christ's image? How can you escape the corruption of the world? How can you enter into glory? How can you live an honorable life of virtue? Well, it won't be by your strength. It won't be by your strength. It won't by, be by your inner will and determination. But it is by God's grace. Benjamin Franklin, when he was a young man, decided he was going to become a morally perfect person. And he thought, well, all I have to do is, is focus on one virtue at a time or one vice at a time and focus on that for one week and get rid of it and then I'll go on to the next one and so forth. And he made a chart and um, he, he made um, a program. He was very diligent about attempting the, the goal, but he wasn't very successful at it. He wasn't very successful. You had one of the, the most brilliant minds um, of that era of brilliant men. And he set up a program and, and a way of morality and virtue. And you know what happened? He just couldn't do it. So what You can't do all these things by your strength. But how? The great and precious promises the gospel promises. Um, turn with me in uh, Jeremiah 31, and let's let's look at this um, promise of the new covenant that God um, gives us back here in Jeremiah. This is what Christ came to do for us. This is what the the promise that that we have in Christ. So Jeremiah 31:31. 31, 31. 
Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. So this is not a covenant like God made with them in Israel. With and Israel, Israel come out of Egypt. Isn't it funny how I said I told you the the Keswick theology says, well, you're saved, and then you're like the children of Israel wandering around in in the wilderness, and then you get that second blessing, and then you make it to the promised land. Well, God specifically says, well, this new covenant is nothing like it's not like that. It's not like the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. This covenant is not like that at all. But this covenant shall be the covenant. But this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law on their inward parts and write it in their hearts. How do we have these things by knowing God, by knowing Christ? Well, how can we know those things? Because well, God will put it in our hearts. Not law written on the tablets of stone, but written in our hearts. And will be their God, and they shall be my people. There's not two classes of people there. If you're in this new covenant, you are the people of God, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. See, the gospel promises are from the least to the greatest. There's no second class Christian. There's no varsity and junior varsity. There's no second blessing Christian and the next level spiritual gurus and then everybody else. Why? Because Christ forgives us our iniquity and remembers our sin no more. You are, when you are united to Christ by faith, you are the people of God and he is your God. From the least to the greatest, from the smallest to the eldest, from the from the, the the weakest to the strongest. That is the blessing of these great and precious promises. That by faith you have you've got what you need. By faith in Christ Jesus, you're united to Him. He God is your God. And you are the people of Christ. The law is written in your heart. You don't need a priest. You don't need anyone else to, to bring you unto God. You're not waiting for something else to come along to, to add to your blessing. You, you, you will grow, as Peter says. You will grow in grace. Um, you, will, you can be strengthened. Grace and peace can multiply in your heart. But there is no next level that you're waiting for. From the least to the greatest, you are the people of God. Because Christ forgives us our iniquities and remembers our sins no more. You've got what you need. Christ has graciously provided all that we need. So we will not fall. And we will enter into that everlasting kingdom. You've got what you need. Look to Christ and trust him. He's given you all that pertains to life and godliness. Pray that the Lord would add this uh, word. I had the blessings of this word tonight and give you encouragement and strength in your walk with him.